we started to solve problems that franchisors were having by reducing the friction for them to onboard a new franchisee. So rather than have to go set up nine accounts and do nine training sessions for nine different tools to teach a franchisee how to go live, they could say, hey, here's QuickBooks, here's ServiceMinder, maybe here's your review management digital marketing dashboard tool, and that's it. So in franchising, you kind of go through the process called like a discovery day, right? You as a potential franchisee, you're going to go to the brand, you're going to meet the team, you're going to see the business model in person. And ultimately, that's going to come down to, hey, here's a contract you want to sign up, and these are going to be your designated zip codes. Once you sign that, you've now written a large check. And so now you're counting the days until that first dollar comes in. So you've got to go and go through training. You've got to then go buy vehicles, get them wrapped, get phones set up. You know, how quickly can you do that? And we have had brands who literally have had discovery day, contract signing, do the training. And before the franchisee gets home, they already have leads or appointments booked to go do the service. Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum, bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Our guest today is an innovatively disruptive tech leader who is reshaping the home services industry for the greater good. In the highly competitive home services sector, success often hinges on speed and responsiveness. Recognizing the critical importance of being the first to answer a phone call or promptly respond to online inquiries can make all the difference in securing a sale. Leveraging this insight, this leader developed a system that ensures immediate response within two minutes, giving home service providers a significant advantage where they have not had it before. But that's not all. With billions in total addressable market and millions of service-based businesses in the U.S. alone, the potential impact of this simple yet disruptive solution is immense. And while franchise businesses dominate the landscape, shockingly, they often face disorganization and lack of cohesive tools tailored to their specific needs. By automating the entire production pipeline from lead capture and distribution to royalty calculations, our guest empowers home service businesses to operate more efficiently and effectively, reducing the need for multiple third-party tools and manual processes and all the friction that that brings. His extensive experience in the software industry spanning over three decades has this guy's unwavering commitment to empowering small businesses and fostering growth, making him a driving force in the industry. Please welcome a remarkable pioneer who's changing the status quo, John Keene, founder and CEO of ServiceMinder.io. Thanks, KJ. I don't know who you were talking about there, but thanks for the, thanks for the intro. <laughs> talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> welcome. Thanks. Yes, great to be here. Appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to, to tell our story. 
Absolutely. You know, I love talking to innovators because they see something that most people think is handled. They don't really know what's going on. They see something and they go, there's got to be a better way. And sometimes it's so simple, but it makes this huge amount of impact. And before we really get into the status quo of service-based businesses and really what's been going on, tell our listeners today, what is your fundamental ingredient for disruptive innovation? I think it has to be persistence. So, you know, people always see these kind of the end results, right? Oh, like a light bulb went on and somebody figured out what the solution was and boom, it was an overnight problem solution. But so many times you look back at kind of the details and it's not an overnight thing, right? It's something that kind of develops over time, either with the person that's working on it, or you see an idea, two other ideas, you have an idea, you go try it. Then you keep iterating on it until you finally, you have that overnight success. You know, it's like we started 12 years ago trying to solve a, a fairly narrow problem. And it took us probably eight or nine years before I feel like we kind of figured out what it was that we were doing, you know? And so people look back and go, oh, you've been around for a couple, three years. Like, no, you've been around forever. And it's like, sometimes it just takes, you, you got to stick with it, right? And especially as small business owners, there's just so much stuff going on in so many areas that you don't control and you can't manage. And you know, you just got to stick with it. Now, sometimes when you stick with it, it's it's dead and, you know, you got to figure it out as well. But when you have something, just keep at it, be persistent and and fine tuning it. It's definitely a, an iterative process to, to get to those kind of disruptive events. You know, it's so true. And I think it's really brilliant of you to talk about how it's an iterative process because you could do something successfully with one, right? And the studies show that you could do something like 22% of the time and be successful. And then you think you have it, but you don't have it because that other 78% or whatever it is, (laughs) it's not a shoe-in, right? And you have to figure it out and figure it out and figure it out. That was definitely the case with us, right? It's like the, the problem we thought we were trying to solve in the market we were trying to go after, turns out we built something that they were in theory interested in, but in reality, not really. You know, it was kind of the, the magic combination of some of the other things that we did over time that made it seem like an obvious solution, but literally 10 years later. Yeah, people don't realize that there is no such thing as overnight success, typically. I mean, even if something had an overnight success, that person's history, even in doing something else, led him up to that point, right? Yeah. It's just how the universe works. Exactly, yeah. Welcome to random. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's talk about the service industry and the status quo, the good, the bad, the ugly of this. I'm super interested in this. I've done a lot of help in my work in PR, just with our state, state representatives. I've been asked to help on initiatives through chambers and so forth that that are very connected to the political realm to find more resources for vocational-based businesses. We're in Florida and the service industry is just like in America, but it's huge and booming here, right? Just for instance, I mean, we live in a very hot, wet, muggy, mold, (laughs) growing climate. And if your AC goes down, it's just like, got to get someone out there immediately, right? Full of killer mosquitoes, giant snakes. It's true. It's like, yes. And so there's so many things that that, those elements impact. Also, we have a lot of issues with our service industry. And we've noticed that there's not a lot of vocational schools anymore. And vocational training has been taken out of high schools. And so you've come in along this service industry and noticed some very key things 
even in franchises that were not there. Tell us more about that. So I think we've all had, you know, any homeowner has had this experience, right? You've got a problem. You listed several where I said, right, large snakes in my backyard, you know, giant mosquitoes eating my children, whatever, you know, leaky water, right? AC doesn't work. Sinkholes. <laughs> Sinkholes, exactly. Sinkholes that open up and swallow you and your entire house overnight. Right, you know, yes. Just, just, you know, the, the list goes on and on, right? The roof it's, comes it's, off in the hurricane. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what, we, what we least refer to as the joys of homeownership, right? Right. And so what do you do when you want to fix that thing? 10, 20 years ago, you basically go look for a phone number, go to the yellow pages, you know, maybe the internet back then. And you'd start calling people, right? So you'd call, you know, nine, 10 providers and, you know, maybe you'd get a voicemail on some of them. Maybe you'd get a human by the time you got the 10th one. And by the time you've gone through all of that, you're exhausted. And it's literally as simple as whoever answers first and will send somebody, that's who I'm going with, right? You know, the whole idea of finding three vendors and pick the best price, you know, at that point, you just don't care. You just want somebody to come and take care of whatever it is you're doing. I don't, really I don't think that's any different. I just want to take it. It really hasn't changed that much, right? You know, today the difference is maybe maybe you go to a website. So you'll Google, right? That's what everybody goes to. And, you know, maybe you'll come up with a vendor who has a website you can go to. Maybe you'll come with a vendor who might just have a phone number that you can click and call or a Facebook page you can message, whatever, right? And there's that other one, something's list, somebody's list. Oh, like Angie's can... list. and Angie's Home... list, yeah. yeah and and HomeAdvisor yeah. and Crapjack and all those guys, yeah. Ultimately, you know, start with Google, right? And then those guys are buying keywords just like everybody else is to get the leads to come to them because they'll then sell those leads to a contractor to tool, hopefully eventually call you. Mm-hmm. But it's still kind of the same thing, right? You fill out a form, you hit submit, and then you wait. Maybe they'll call back. Maybe they won't, you know. What if it's an emergency? Exactly. You know. Yeah. So so the, the method by which people try to reach out to you has changed over the years, but the problem still exists in that, like you said, it could be an emergency, water pouring through my ceiling because the water heater busted or whatever, right? You need somebody there as fast as possible and you want the problem solved with as little friction as possible. And, you know, it's still today a case of if you answer, if you're a service provider and if you answer the phone or respond to the, you know, the email or text message or whatever quickly, you'll win the deal. It's just as simple as that. It's really very interesting. So is there an average percentage of calls that don't get answered? It's funny, yeah. So in the space we specialize in within within franchise systems, it is not unusual for a franchise system to work with an outside vendor to do a check, right? To do a call check and say, hey, call all of our locations and tell us what the results are. Kind of like blind shopping, right? Exactly, yeah. Or maybe you're a call center provider and you want to help a brand. You know, one of the first things you'll do is you'll call all the locations and then call the brand up and say, hey, did you know that we called all mm. 107 of your locations and we only got humans on 25% of them? You know, and we only got callbacks and we got callbacks on, say, 30% of them. Right. So, so if I was a consumer ready to spend money, 70% of those went nowhere. Okay, 70%. Now let's talk about this as far as if you're a franchise. Like I know you started this with just service-based businesses and then you realized how disorganized franchise systems really were. You spend, I don't know, what's the average amount that someone would spend on a franchise? 
So franchise systems, again, can vary depending on kind of what they are. And I think if you think of like people think franchising, kind of the things that make the most notoriety are probably restaurants, right? So, you know, the McDonald's is Chick-fil-A. But not everybody has a million dollars to invest exactly. in it. Those are very expensive because yeah. you got to buy property, you got to build a lot of infrastructure, right? But those are franchise systems just like in the home services space. Home services business, I think, have kind of achieved a new level of popularity, especially over the last 10 years or so, especially with COVID, right? Because people were stuck at home and wanted to do stuff. Because a lot of times you can you can launch those from your home, right? Because you're essentially you're you're going to the customer's premise to solve the problem, right? They're not coming to you, they're not coming to a store, right? You're gonna go to their but house. But they're still and, investing money into this oh, franchise, absolutely. right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So instead of instead of instead of you know million dollar investments on the retails, you know, restaurant side, you're maybe Fifty to one hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollar investment to get. Well, launched. that's still not chump change. Yeah, and seventy percent are losing out. Yeah, I, every time the phone rings, every time a lead comes in, odds are somehow you paid for that as as a business owner, right? You're paying for Google Pay per click. You're paying for direct mail. You're paying for SEO, PR, SEO, PR exactly. like you name. And some it. of that stuff may be paid by the brand. Right. right. So, so, so you're paying for it indirectly because you're paying royalties or national ad fund or whatever. Right. But ultimately, if the phone rang or a lead came in, it probably cost you something to get that to happen. If you're if you're not responding and jumping on it quickly, like within minutes, you're leaving money on the table. Because especially if you're in an industry where response time is super critical, like if it's an emergency kind of thing, like if it's kitchen remodeling. OK, maybe you can wait a few hours. Right. <laughs> but if it, but if it's, you know, exactly but if it's leaky water heater right it's like you want that fixed right now and and it will literally be minutes matter right in terms of getting back and forth. minutes matter think about it too people are all busy i mean we all everyone in the household works getting a timely response back even for a kitchen remodel because then you go on to another things and it becomes so busy and by the time they exactly respond. well and then especially on kind of the project side you know, if if they're slow to respond when you call them and say, I want to give you money, what are they going to be when you're running the project, right? You know, if a contractor should do a thing and you didn't get a hold of them and say, hey, is this right or is this wrong or the color's wrong or whatever, and it's three days for them to get back to you, right? So, you know, responsiveness kind of through the entire process, whether it's dealing with that initial call from the lead or just kind of being responsive through the whole system is, is really, really critical to deliver good customer success because ultimately at the end, you want a good review, you want referrals. Right. You want them to pay the invoice on time. Right. And all of those things tie back to did the consumer have a good experience or not? Yeah. And it's such a paradox because it's such an easy thing to fix, but it's not such an easy thing to fix. When I say easy to fix, look, if it's speed of answering the phone with which I'm going to get a sale and it doesn't, I mean, that's really like the number one key factor. It doesn't have to do with my necessarily like customer service training or this or that. I mean, there's, it's just answer the freaking phone and get the exactly. appointment. Yes. And you go, oh my God, this is such an easy thing to solve, right? The paradox is how come it wasn't solved before? Exactly. How come? Yeah. How come it wasn't? Tell us. Yeah. So it's, I think it's some of it's human nature, right? So when we started ServiceMinder, we were trying to kind of deliver that client experience. The kind of classic problem I had in my head was, you know, for every business in a small town or medium town or whatever, right? There's the 50 truck version of you across the street, right? And they've got three or four people in the office. They're answering the phones. They're placing calls to say, hey, we're on our way or, you know, how was your service or whatever? And then there's you and two other guys and three trucks. So if you're out working with a customer and your business line rings to your cell phone, right? 10 years ago, you're under a sink fixing the thing. You're not answering the phones going to voicemail, right? So how do you 
deliver that information from a lead coming in to somebody who can answer the phone for you. And if you're a three-person shop, you can't hire a full-time person to sit in an office and answer six calls a day. It's just not cost-effective, right? So call centers is a great way to kind of solve that problem. And there's lots of call centers out there that will do that. But then the other problem is, you know, if they're going to be scheduling appointments for you, are they going to know where to go? Are they going to know about drive times? You know, how are you going to set that up? Well, if you have a large territory and let's say it takes an average of an hour to get between one appointment and the next, you're going to tell the call center, okay, I can do four appointments a day because I have to have room to drive between them. They're going to call and kind of try to fill those slots. But then you've got to tell them if you book an appointment in one of those slots yourself, you've got to go tell them, hey, don't book that because I'm already booked. And that doesn't happen, right? Because again, it's stuff that people got to do manually. And so we basically built a system that would basically integrate with call centers. It would give call centers the ability to book those appointments live. It would give call centers the knowledge of how far away are these appointments and where is the technician, how close is the, so we could book the appointments closer together. So we could go from say four fixed slots per day to maybe five or six appointments per day for the same, same pay to a salesperson or technician who's out in the field, get more stuff done in the same day. And also they can answer the phone immediately, right? So three rings, they're answering, they're in your account. They can look you up if you're a customer. They can add you if you're not. They can deliver you a confirmation through our through our integration. And you just get a ding on your phone that says, hey, I got an appointment for tomorrow at three. Great. And so- And they can also mark off on their calendar when they're done so it doesn't get booked at that particular time or whatever, exactly. right? Because they're working off the same calendar, right? So yeah. they're, they're working off the service minder calendar, for example, and so is the call center. So if you book something or they book something, you're not going to get double booked. So simple. You would think. I mean, I know it took you 12 years, but- <laughs> <laughs> but. Simple. So in the sense that like, I bet some of these franchises are like, I could have had a VA. Like, how come we didn't think of that? How come they exactly. didn't think of that? Well, I think, you know, there's there's lots of options out there to go do those things that try to solve parts of those problems. And I think one of the reasons we struggled in the early days kind of going after just the general market is sometimes those guys that is going to be owner under the sink and the two other guys in the other trucks. One of the reasons they're small is just because they're happy with that. You know, they're not looking to become the future truck version. So while while the automation, the capability sounds cool, they're not really interested in putting in the effort to kind of get it set up and tuned and working for their business model because they're a three-person company that's fine with them, right? And as we continue to add capabilities, you know, the early years were basically do a demo, learn stuff about an industry, go write code, do another demo, rinse and repeat. Right? Like we did that for, for years and years in the early stages. And so one of the benefits we had was we were very industry agnostic, right? We did we weren't focusing on, say, you know, maid services or lawn care, right? There's a lot of kind of point solutions out there to do those kind of things. We were focusing on business process and client experience. That was kind of what we were trying to, to solve for. And as our product got more complicated and more capable, more feature-driven, we landed our first franchise brand after a couple of years in, in business. And we had them, and then we added a, a second brand shortly after that. And around the time we finished on the second brand, it's kind of this light, you know, overnight success, right? This light bulb moment went on. It's like these brands are hiring people to learn our tool to make sure their franchisees can get the most value out of it. Mm. And ding, so, ding, 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 ding. Exactly. And us <laughs> as a small company, right? One of the challenges you have if you're trying to sell directly to your end users, the efficiency with which you can reach and train and onboard those end customers. And our product is not super expensive, right? It's, you know, in the low single hundreds of dollars per month. It's not thousands of dollars. So we can't go spend, you know. And it's a replacement of like a paycheck that they can't afford. Yeah. Exactly, like multiple exactly. tools. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. 
And so the solution ended up being, or the element was that this all the problem we had in terms of scaling, we don't have to go sell to all the end consumers. We sell to a franchise system. They standardize our product. We help support their workflow and design their brand's client experience that they want inside our tool. They can then deliver to their franchisees. And now we have that kind of one-to-many scaling ability. So we're able to support thousands of end users with a fairly small team because the brand is kind of our reseller, I guess. I love it. Now, can a single service-based business still come to you and work with you? Absolutely. They can find us. You know, we, we pivoted probably, I guess, probably a couple of years ago where we kind of really got hard on our messaging. Well, it really makes total sense. Be more crisp yes. on our franchise model, right? So yes, if you're an individual business owner, you can find us. You can ask us how to get started and set up a trial account. And there's a way to kind of go do all of that stuff. How big is that franchise market? Of, of all these service-based businesses in North America? So there's around five, depending on how you count, there's between five and 600 franchise brands that are in the home services space. Just in the in the franchise space in general, there's, you know, five to 6,000 franchise systems kind of across the US and Canada that covers the whole, the whole space, right? Restaurant, retail, you know, home services, all that stuff. But our market is around, you know, five, 600 individual brands in terms of, and, and those range in size from, you know, they're emerging, right? They're just starting franchising. So they've got two or three locations and then on the big scale, they've got, you know, 200, 500, a thousand locations. So that's so, fantastic. So well, I can see why you went into that. And with franchises beefing up, you know, we're always based on what we do, we're always looking at what's happening in the markets and so forth. And the level of franchise sales has really started to increase lately. Yeah. And I think a part of that ties to to one of the things you mentioned earlier on were kind of the vocational changes in the school systems, right? So like when I was, I'm not going to date myself too much, but when I was in school, right, there was wood shop, small engine repair. Yeah, there were shop classes, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, now, now granted, you know, 1% of the kids graduate high school missing a finger or whatever, but you know, just, you know, whatever, maybe not that high, but anyway. And what we've seen in franchising as well is if you go back again, 10 to 20 years ago, people that were going into franchising were people who were leaving the Fortune 1000, Fortune 500, right? So they were a sales guy, marketing guy, technology guy, Operations. whatever. Exactly. And and they wanted to get either, either A, they were downsized, right? Or they wanted to kind of be their own boss. They had that entrepreneurial itch. And franchising was a gateway to do that, right? You didn't have to know the business because that's what you're buying in the franchise. Right? They're going to teach you how to run the business in the process. All you have to do is all you have to do is execute on the business end and you go. And so a lot of the market for how franchises were sold back then was to try to find those types of individuals. In the home services space, because the barrier, the cost to get in is less than opening a new McDonald's restaurant. And because there's this complete gap of people who know how to do things like lawn care, kitchen remodeling, paint contracting, powder washing, pest control, whatever. Franchising kind of fills that gap in that, you know, there's people who are, again, the same target audience is still buying into that, but there's also, now it's more accessible for a guy who owns or is interested in paint or worked for another paint contracting and wants to go out on his own, but he doesn't know digital marketing. He doesn't know direct mail. He doesn't know these things, but he knows his craft really, really well. And he just happens to have, you know, good client skills and, and all that. And, and so maybe you could run make a go at it, right? How do you, how do you go from, you know, maybe no college degree, right? But has the basics down. How do you go from that to running, you know, a full business? Franchising is a great way to get in there and you can get in there for 
50,000, $100,000, whatever. And yes, it's a lot of money, but but it's certainly much well, more, it's more palatable. Than, and if they exactly. do have that support behind them and yep. they are a hustler, let's face it, they could make that money back. So, you know, back when we relatively were, short amount of time, exactly. right? Well, when we were younger too, right? You kind of the, the path and why I think vocational kind of changed in the, in the, in the grade school areas is the push was everybody needs to go to college because we need everybody smart. And now we know not everybody is fit for college. And college is expensive. <laughs> well, we have exorbitant exactly. college debt. It's crippling. If, if college right? is not for you, are you still going to go spend $100,000 to get a four-year degree to do something that you don't want to do or maybe spend $100,000 and, and launch a business that will help you do the things you want to do? And the things that are neat about kind of the franchise model is it eliminates a lot of the need for the business owner to be master of everything. Right. Because if you're an independent business owner and you're the master of everything you do, not only do you have to be good with HR, payroll, well, you have to be good at whatever you do, right? But that's just such a small fragment of the whole business problem. Marketing, sales, HR, payroll, you know, quality control. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like so so I'm I'm a plumber. Do I know SEO? Do I know how to get an Angie account set up? Do I know how to manage my reviews on on Google and Facebook? You know? So Franchise systems bring vendors and solutions and processes and training. And a lot of those things they'll even do for you, right? Like brands, a lot of times will take over kind of the digital marketing for the entire brand because they don't want, you know, Tulsa fighting with Oklahoma City for these leads, right? They will get those leads and then distribute them out to the locations based on zip codes or whatever, right? And so you get to leverage a lot of that expertise without having to know all the details of it. Whereas if you were an independent, you'd have to figure all that stuff out or or find vendors to do that for you. But the franchise is doing that too, right? They're vetting vendors and suppliers and all that. That's right. And there's fantastic money to be made in a service-based business. I mean, you know, the ramp up is pretty quick, exactly. right? So if yeah. you're able to do the work and not get mired down in everything else, then, you know, you're statistically better off. Exactly. If you compare the exact percentages, right? If you compare success percentage rates of franchise businesses versus non-franchise businesses, franchise businesses tend to be successful at a higher rate than non-franchise businesses right? because they have a support network and can spot problems and training and whatnot. So the success rate is higher for franchise businesses. Well, they also have a lot of data. Exactly. And a lot of data can be compiled to you then use that help. data yeah. to be successful. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, tell me some success stories that you've had. If you have any statistics of, you know, ability to increase their revenues or being able to hire, make more money and things like that. Yeah. So one of the things that we figured out as we kind of moved more to the franchising space, because we're just naturally, you know, again, it was mostly technology guys together doing this thing. We didn't add like the other stuff like supported marketing until we got a little bit bigger. But so every time we had a conversation or demo with a client or a brand, it was like, okay, how can we use software to solve this problem? And so we ended up integrating with, you know, brands would come and say, hey, we use this digital marketing company. We want our Angie leads to come in automatically. We would go write code to kind of solve all of these things. Or we use this particular vendor to do our review solicitation, you know, so we would add that. Or we added texting and drip marketing capabilities because we knew that that would help kind of drive engagement and adoption. And so we started to solve problems that franchisors were having by reducing the friction for them to onboard a new franchisee, right? So rather than have to go set up nine accounts and do nine training sessions for nine different tools to teach a franchisee how to go live, Ugh. they could say, hey, here's QuickBooks, here's ServiceMinder, maybe here's your review 
management digital marketing dashboard tool, right? And that's it. So they could go from, you know, in franchising, you kind of go through the process called like a discovery day, right? You, you as a potential franchisee, you're going to go to the brand, you're going to meet the team, you're going to see kind of the, the business model kind of in person, right? And ultimately, it's going to come down to, hey, here's a contract you want to sign up, and these are going to be your designated zip codes. Once you sign that, you've now written a large check. And so now you're counting the days until that first dollar comes in, right? So you've got to go and go through training. And you've got to then go big buy vehicles, get them wrapped, get phones set up. You know, how quickly can you do that? And we have had brands who literally have had discovery day, contract signing, do the training. And before the franchisee gets home, they already have leads or appointments booked to go do the service. Bam. So you're making money starting day one, you know, when you get back there. And now, now it's not referred to as now it's just rinse and repeat. Once you can take money from a stranger, all I got to do is scale it, you know. That's fantastic. So are you connected to the business development teams for these franchises to actually help them sell? It's funny. Yeah. More? It's and yeah. So that's where we, you should be. Yeah, exactly. One <laughs> of the things we didn't expect at all is, is we have brands who, as a part of their marketing effort to kind of bring franchisees, they'll talk about the technology that they use. Mm hmm know in their brand kind of what makes them unique and so we have brands who have made videos about ServiceMinder um, or include that as a part of the, the pitch process for you know hey here's what your vehicle is going to look like here's what the tool is going to look like here's the here's the flow like here's you know when a new lead comes in on our website it's going to ding on your phone you have a new lead and oh by the way it's going to go out to the call center automatically they're going to place a call so the next thing you're going to get is you got an appointment booked you know <laughs> and all you have to do is you know, turn your phone on so fantastic I love this because it again, goes along with this whole SMB disruption, yeah. allowing them to really compete with the Goliaths. Exactly. Um, and that and is that was know, really the how we started. M&A market. Yeah, exactly. I love yeah. And that's, this. That's literally how we started was, you know, again, that fifth truck version across the street. How do you, the, the solo operator, how do you compete with that? Yeah. Well, it's great because it is leveling the playing field. The focus right now. investment capital. They're the new black. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. I love it. So when did you come to this epiphany one day where you said, that's freaking in, I got to do something about it. So it's funny. So the first two brands we onboarded were a part of kind of the same kind of platform brand. They had multiple concepts. And so the, the CEO there, his name is Chris. And like, after we started onboarding the first brand, he said, you need to focus on franchising. And I was like, but it's a small market, you know, there's like 500 brands or whatever. There's literally millions of home services, independent contractors. That market is so much bigger. Yeah, we'll, we'll take care of the franchising stuff for you, but you know, I'm still focused on the rest of the market, right? And so he kept saying that for a couple of years, you know, every time he would see me, he would say that. And I'd say, yeah, yeah. But when we finished that second brand and I, that's kind of when it clicked. And so then we joined the IFA, which is kind of the International Franchise Association. It's an organization for franchising here. And it's called International, it's like the World Series, right? It's primarily US and Canada. But I started going to IFA conventions and meetings and meeting people. And, and we didn't even have a booth until 2020, I think it was the, or 2021 was the first year we had a booth. And it was a virtual booth because of, because of COVID. So, you know, I, I spent all of that time, you know, and again, kind of Chris's background nudging, you know, meeting the other vendors, others, the suppliers, right? That was, we didn't have money to go do a lot of marketing, right? So the, so one of the things we did was we said, what franchise systems do you work with? Can we add support for your tool in ours so that maybe we can help each other out? So we have like 50 different integrations in our platform that are all driven by things that are other people that are in the franchise space that work in either home services or franchising generically. 
So when we're sitting down with a prospect today, they go, well, who do you use for this? Or do you do that? Or can you do this? You know, it's like an hour long interview. And we basically say yes to everything because we spent, you know, 10, 11 years writing code. All provide them a checklist from now on. Say, so exactly. I'm going to ask exactly. these questions. So exactly. Here. <laughs> exactly. But it really was, it was, it was partly, you know, Chris's nudging me in that direction. You were a late um, bloomer, but you finally I am, yeah. listened. <laughs> I, I like to say I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but at least I know how to find the shed. <laughs> well, you're persistent in finding Exa- the shed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. that's, that's my superpower. So <laughs> that's right. It's your too, superpower. I'm too stupid to give up, so I just keep iterating and trying. <laughs> we'll get you a cape. It's exactly. Persistent. Exactly. Captain exactly. persistent on the back. Yeah. Yeah. So it was probably another three or four years after that where we were in franchising and talking about our franchise and message, but we're also still equally courting kind of the, the, the retail model as well. But it was really probably about 2019 or so is when I finally said, okay, we're going to stop talking about retail. We're going to focus on, because then it gets, your message gets complicated when you're talking about two completely different markets, you know? Yeah. So, and we brought in a marketing person in 2021, I think. And so she, uh, she helped tell me all the obvious things she saw from the data that we've been collecting for years saying, why are you doing this? Switch over to this, right? So. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that's that, something that your SMBs can do as they particularly grow, right? They may have all that support exactly. from a franchise, but as they get bigger and they might want to bring on a marketing person to look exactly. at their data. Yeah. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and having, you know, having access to the data, you still have to kind of have the, the, desire and the motivation to look at the data and do something with it. Like one of the things I always say is how are you making decisions in your business? Are you making it based on hunches? Are you making it based on data? If you're making it based on hunches, hopefully you're lucky. I I have been, I've had lucky moments and unlucky moments and all of my hunches, you know, in my entire career. So I would not want to bank on that. You know, don't take my hunches. Agreed. Agreed. But still, if you have the data, you still need to understand how to apply that right? Like the data gives you, tells you what the levers are, but doesn't tell you what to do with the levers, right? Yep. And so the franchise can help teach you with that, but it also, you've got to put some effort into kind of figuring that out. And that's one of the cool things, again, about the franchise, and I'm not to harp on it too much, but, you know, you've basically got a hundred people that are in the same business. And, and in a normal world, if you're in the same town, you would all be bloodthirsty competitors against each other, right? But because franchising works on territories and everybody's spread all over the country, you now have the ability to get into intimate details about somebody else's business that is literally exactly like yours. How much you're paying for labor? You know, what's your cost per lead? You know, what's your conversion rate, right? And, and now we have all this data that we capture for all the locations. Well, that data is also available at the brand level. So they know at the brand level what the conversion rate is, what's, what's the lead booking ratios, right? What percentage of leads come in book appointments? And so having those metrics, you can now see where you fit in the stack and what you need to work on, right? Like you can go to the marketing person, the brand and say, I'm going to double my leads for next year. And they say, why? It's like, well, because I want to double my sales. And then they go look and say, well, your, your conversion rate is only 30%. The brand standard is 60%. Let's work on sales training and getting you closing more deals. You can double your business next year and not spend another nickel on marketing. Right. But if you don't have that data, you're back to hunches, right? And so yeah. his hunch was, or her hunch was, I need to double my leads to grow my business. Well, that was wrong. You know, you needed to improve your close rate or more cost leads or whatever, right? Use the data to figure out what you want to do. And by having all of this systematized inside a platform that a brand uses, I mean, we'd love for you to use ServiceMinder, but if you're not using ServiceMinder, that's fine. Use something, though, to capture and standardize the data so that you can compare locations. If every location is kind of doing their own thing, and all your data is based on self-reported stuff. Like, hey, yeah, my close rate is 68%. Is it really? Right? Or is that just a number you came up with? Right? 
if you can if you can systematize it so the franchisees are all following the same process, now the data is useful from a comparison perspective, and you can draw conclusions from that and stop doing the hunches. Yeah, no more hunches. Exactly. Use some hunches with the data, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or use a hunch. Use a hunch to figure out what business you want to go into. Right. There you right? go. That's that's hard to follow from the data perspective. You've got to have Pat because because as we all know, regardless of what kind of business it is, starting a business is hard, right? And so it needs to be something that you get excited about. For sure. Yeah. But starting a business is hard, but certain technology makes it so much easier. Yeah, and training and resources and, and all that stuff. Like like you know. Think of all the things that helped you when you started, right? How much of that was just accidental discovery, right? Like yeah. Ver- versus, versus here's a recipe, follow this. No, by the way, there's 99 other guys who follow this the same recipe and they're all doing pretty good. In fact, call any of them that you want to and ask them how they're doing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's spoken like a true data guy. <laughs> Sorry, nerd. So <laughs> what do you do outside of service minor? you have any crazy passion? I like to play guitar. I saw that on LinkedIn. Yep. Yeah. Played in a few bar bands in my earlier years. Uh, coming home at 2 a.m. with, you know, 100 pounds of gear is a lot harder now than it was when I was younger. I can say I'm a professional because I got paid enough to cover my bar tab. So, there you go. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> nice. That, that's fun. I'm not a stage like now. What do you play? Uh, you know, blues, rock. Um, you know, I'm a huge Stevie Ray Vaughan fan from, from Texas, of course. So... Yeah. Um, anything like that and downstream. I, I, my, my musical super talent is I can turn any song into an ACDC song. So, yeah. <laughs> Country, That's amazing. Love ballad, you know, yeah. old blues standard. I can turn it into an ACDC song. Just... Did you ever play ZZ Top? And... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, That's, That's fantastic. So. How do people get a hold of you? Servicebinder.io.com.net. Whatever. We own all the Google Service Binder. Go find us. Um, hit us up on LinkedIn as well. We do webinars fairly often, so find us there. Schedule a free demo. I will, there you I will go. give you I will give you a demo myself. Fantastic. All right, everybody. So hook up with John Keen, find him on LinkedIn, tell him that he promised a free demo specifically by him. And if you have any questions just about the service-based industry or technology or where it's going or want to riff with him, no pun exactly. intended. Get the old band <laughs> back together. Yeah, contact him. And then what's the like final thing you want to leave our listeners with? Just inspiration, motto, you know, never give up. What would it be? One of the things that makes a business successful, I think, is the culture that the business has. And one of the key things that we've always tried to do, because we've been at this for a while, kind of our unspoken motto is, you know, ask yourself what you did today to make service minders suck less. So 12 years ago, day one, Right when we're launching ServiceMinder 1.0, I can look back and say, yeah, that kind of sucked. But if you focus on it every single day, and if your team focuses on that, and it doesn't mean, you know, I fixed a bug or added a feature, right? It could be a client experience. I can solve a problem with the client, make somebody's day that they thought was going to be a problem go away, right? If you do that enough and long enough, this kind of goes back to the whole persistence model, right? If you keep at it, and if you keep chipping away at the suck, eventually it won't suck very much. And so here we are. It doesn't suck as much as it used to. Well, great. You know what? You get what you put attention on. So you put attention on not sucking. You're not going <laughs> to suck. <laughs> exactly. exactly. John, thank you so much. This has been fun. Very informative. Thanks. Kick hey, ass blast. to you for helping the SMBs. Yeah. Thank you to KJ and appreciate all you do. You bet.
That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, go listen to this podcast and tell people about this podcast. Not only that, tell them to disrupt their markets with a tidbit from this show. Thanks for listening to Disruption and Eruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.